Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton. This podcast will seek to define and explain this important question from multiple points of view. We will interview owners, breeders, caregivers, defenders, advocates, champions, and educators. The mission of my podcast is to seek and foster collaborative conversations where every point of view feels heard, acknowledged, and appreciated. I look forward to you joining me on this journey toward a better understanding of each other. It is possible to have an impossible conversation. It starts with listening for common ground first. I am so glad you're here listening in with me. Now let's see what my next guest has to say. Hi, Deborah Hamilton, Why Do Pets Matter, the podcast. Thank you so much for coming again. And today, I have the real honor to be interviewing my good friend, Jerry Cohen of Boston Dog Lawyers. He has been in this field for a number of years. I'm going to let him tell you because the last time I talked about how many years, somebody said, I'm not that old, so I don't insult anyone anymore. I'm just going to let him tell you how long he's been doing this. But I know that Jeremy and I have been friends for at least the last six to eight years because we connected on the platform of Why Do Pets Matter? He's a lawyer who helps people with issues over animals. And I'm a mediator who helps people with issues over matters. And despite what people will say, there is a place for both. And both of us recognize that. So, Jeremy, thank you so much for coming to Why Do Pets Matter? Great to be here. I love the show. Thank you. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. So we always start out, Jeremy, with the first question is, why do pets matter to you? Pets matter to me because they are my livelihood. About five or six years ago, I decided to dedicate my legal career to pets, not knowing what kind of issues are out there and their well-being and the rights of pet owners have become paramount to my mission uh, being a lawyer for so long i was a lawyer that didn't get any any type of uh, I, I didn't get positive feedback I, I didn't feel like i was making a difference but making pets matter to me and seeing how pets matter to the people that i'm trying to help uh it's just a great reason to get up every day you know, that feedback is what I thrive on as well, because when we help people who have issues involving their pets, be it in relationship breakups, divorce, veterinary malpractice, owner disputes, you know, neighbor disputes, when we're able to help them figure out how to live more peacefully going forward, or at least make a decision, it really serves them and they just, their their need for their pets is respected and um, understood, I think. How do you delineate what cases you're going to take um, in this Why Do Pets Matter um, and the cases you attempt to do less than litigation, say, because there are things that I'm sure go right to litigation and then there are other things that really deserve a discussion. Sure. So one thing about these cases, when I take them on, I take them very personal. I have a pet. I have a great dog, Maisie, Golden Retriever. So when I take on your case about your pet, your pet becomes mine. So that's certainly going to uh, take, that takes a lot of resources. We get, uh, for every case we take, we probably get seven or eight calls um, that we can't take. And some of the calls are just people who, who want to be heard or who want to understand uh, what their rights might be. And a lot of the work we do is to bring those people some peace of mind that even if we're not taking their case, we're kind of telling them, look, I don't think it, 
I don't think it's your fault. A lot of people call because their pet was injured or killed at maybe a grooming facility or a boarding facility or at a vet. And there's a lot of owner guilt. And I, I really try to tell them to work them out of that initially. And, and a lot of times if that can resolve it and we don't get the case, I'm fine with that because people just need some peace of mind. And when things go wrong, we all look for people to blame, but I hate to see pet owners who blame themselves. So it, it is part, being part psychologist, uh, but I love that responsibility too. And if I never hear from the person again, that's okay. Uh, the cases we do take, it's, I am running a business and there's very few businesses like this that are dedicated to pet owners' rights. And I tell people who, who are unhappy with the fees or who, look, who were looking for me to do it uh, pro bono, I want this business to exist long after I stop existing. And I want there to be one in every state for people. It doesn't have to be a Boston dog lawyers, but I want to encourage young lawyers and students to, to, to get into the practice. So I have to run it like a business. And sometimes that means... Uh, letting people down. And it's a daily battle for me and my staff. We review every intake that comes in to decide, are, is this a case we want to take? Um, and I certainly will not take a case if I don't think there's at least a 50% chance of a, of a path to success. I don't want to waste anybody's time. I want to, and I don't want to give false hopes. You know, it's interesting you said that because for me in my practice as well, because we are in the animal sector, uh, I do animal law with a bend toward mediation. You do animal law with a bend toward, you know, really using the courts and the legislation to get a fair outcome. It is assumed, and I know veterinarians find this all the time, that we should do it for less or pro bono because we're talking about animals and don't we love animals? And isn't that why we're in here? And I love that you brought up the point that we have to turn the lights on. And we, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it, it, I, people are starting to understand that more. And there's certainly times where I will discount a fee or, or do a case pro bono, but I want that to come from within me. If, if that idea originates with me, I can really be behind it. If people just call right away asking for that, that's, uh, I don't know you yet. And to ask for a favor already is it doesn't, it's not comfortable for me. You know, we all have to have skin in the game because you and I both work probably twice as hard than what we're paid for. Um, because we were talking before we went on the air that we, over this COVID period, are working Saturdays and Sundays as well. Uh, people call us. So it's not as if, you know, we're nine to five, we're animal law um, conflict resolvers or assistance in res resolution. And we really do put more into it that people will understand that lawyers who practice animal law do it because they love, as you said, you are dedicated in your practice to helping pets. You wanted positive feedback. And I know when I litigated, it wasn't always positive feedback. Now, because we're trying to help people, and I loved when you said, I talk to everyone, and sometimes we don't take the cases, but I hope I let them know that I've listened to them, I've understood them, and if they're feeling gu guilty, 
I give them a little bit of peace of mind because for me, that is usually what is driving the anger. First, it's, I don't want this to happen to anybody else again. And then it is, was there any small piece of what I did that created this domino effect and my animal was injured? Oh, absolutely. And you know, here's a, a, a one piece of advice that I'm starting to tell so many people if I get them at the right time. Get a second opinion. If you're at a veterinarian and you're being told your dog or cat or your pet has to have some type of a major surgery, it's okay to say, thank you for the information. I'd like to get a second opinion. Uh, that, sh that will bring people some more security and some more confidence in who they choose to, to perform the surgery or if your pet even needs it. There's a lot of hesitancy right now to question veterinarians to their face, but people are certainly doing it behind their backs. I have to believe that as professionals, they have to be willing to engage you in a conversation. And it's really difficult to diagnose a dog and a cat. So you have to speak up. And just like you and I work doubly hard, right, to, to just, because uh, this work is, is relatively new and you have to prove yourself every time, you have to work doubly hard as a pet owner to make sure you're heard. And it's, you don't have to worry about offending a veterinarian by saying, thank you, I just want to get a second opinion. Uh, I really think that would ease so much of the, uh, uh, the, the, the insecurity that pet owners have. And the angst, that is so profound for me because, and I might have to seal that, because to, to enable and approve and actually encourage. So on the veterinarian side, even if it's a really expensive surgery, I mean, we've had cases come in the door and somebody says all the time, well, I'm gonna check with another lawyer to see how much they're gonna charge me. Um, why not? If, if the dog isn't laying bleeding, I mean, of course this is without, right. you know, if the dog is injured and needs assistance, that, that sort of is taken out of the equation. But if your dog's been diagnosed with cancer, why not say, hey, Dr. Cohn, um, do you have anybody that I can go to or where would I go to find one of your cohorts so I can just get peace of mind that everything is being done and can't we work together? And of course that has to change the mindset of the veterinarian as well to accept that people want to have more information and it doesn't have to always just come from you. And I think that's a hurdle right now. Uh, what I'm finding, and, and it's certainly a portion of all of anybody who's in this field, a portion of your cases is dealing with veterinarians. And I, I wish that they'd be more open to alternative routes of dealing with, uh, of, with their, their clients and their patients and their, their pet owner clients, because we all know, and from listening to your show with Thomas Nickel, we know there's one insurance company, Zurich, that's behind all of this. And I do now know that they instruct their vets, as soon as you have a dispute, stop talking to the person. Well, what other industry can that happen? If you got the wrong hamburger, you speak to the manager to get the right hamburger and they're going to talk to you. So why is it that these people are instructed to just turn their back? The people who come to me, they never say, oh, I had a great deep discussion with my veterinarian and I do believe he did something wrong. It's always people that were shut down from being heard. And there's no need to litigate these cases. It's just about bringing these two sides together and saying, it's okay, just talk about it. And I really think that would that would solve so much. That would unclog the courts with these cases and, uh, and help everybody move on more quickly. 
except Zurich Insurance, because they'd be dealing with these, you know, this is their volume. This is their, their heavy volume of cases. It's interesting you said that because that's been my mantra um, for the 10 years that I opened my practice for alternative seat resolution um, in veterinary cases first. And I know you've got a great letter that you send out now that sort of encourages them to come to the table, have a discussion, and at least let them know what's going on. And some respond positively and others respond negatively. And for me, what I want to do is I want the veterinarian and I want AVMA, like the Royal Vet College does, pay for the mediation up front so they can do safely what you want them to do, which is talk to each other and and have somebody in there who holds a, a neutral space. Because you and I both know, when I'm talking about my dog to Dr. Cohen, I am um, not necessarily my best self. I know I look like I'm my best self and I might sound beautifully right now, but when I'm talking about my dog, I am not my best self. I just spoke to Scott Ames in Australia and he actually, he's an insurance attorney in Australia for veterinarians. And he said, why do pet owners treat veterinarians so poorly? And I I said, this is a chicken or the egg question. And I know you just said that because if the veterinarians were allowed and actually, in my opinion, required to take the time to listen to how they spoke to their client, the information they gave their client, whether or not that information was right or wrong, whether or not they could change, just think how they would learn and how many fewer cases of misunderstanding might come from it. Sure. you see, your program is is much more advanced uh, than than I have right now. And the point is, if I see twenty cases, and and usually I'll if it if it warrants, I'll get the records reviewed by some independent veterinarians. But out of twenty calls, maybe one one to three are actually malpractice cases, and that's high. Typically, they they aren't at all. It's more about I don't like the way I was treated or talked to or spoken to that's you don't you shouldn't have to call a lawyer for that you just and and you're absolutely right because it is simply i loved when you said um they just don't talk to them and one of the insurance company leads the way but most insurance providers for veterinarians and even really for kennels um, and for groomers immediately say wait till you're sued and when i talk to those defense attorneys which i'm sure you've talked to a number of them they say well there's nothing to talk about until they put their money where their mouth is and of course then they've lost that window of i haven't paid five thousand dollars to hire jeremy cohen to represent me right right Uh, i know and so it's all about strategy, but sometimes, I mean, see, we have so many calls coming in. There's so much need that if, if I can direct somebody, and, and, and I love when I can tell people, you don't have to pay me. You can do this on your own, so go try it on your own first. Right. And you can tell them you spoke with an attorney, but that I've told you, you can handle this on your own. And it's, I, I love that too, because any type of a closed case creates an opening for another new case. And um, it's a shame the way it's devolved, but I don't think we're that far away from, from recovering it either to make it, make it better. I think that it's actually coming around. And what do you think? I'd love to know. This new push by AVMA to really respond to the well-being of veterinarians. And I know, you know, because we've talked about this, that a lot of the veterinarian stress and possible suicide comes from the social media issues that arise when they're not allowed to talk to clients or they choose not to talk to clients because there's nothing there. And then the clients go on social media and trash them. 
It's so maddening. I had a call last week with this legal coordinator for this giant company that's buying up uh, veterinary clinics. And I sent one of my, just give us information letter. We're not suing you. And she said, she said, I think you're very reasonable, but I don't trust you. I said, why? I said, I'm telling you the truth. I don't want money from you right now. I want to understand what went wrong. And I think that would really help my client to understand. Just tell me what went wrong. She said that basically that's not how we do it. And I was asking information about premiums and stuff because I said, I don't want you to have to report it to your insurance company right now. Because as, as lawyers, that's, that's activity. You may never pay out. You may never did, done something wrong, but you don't want activity in your policy. And she said, you're asking too many questions. And she said, I, we are a new, it's a new company that's buying these up. And I just happen to have multiple cases with the ones that they're buying up. And you know, she said that essentially um, we got in this to make life better for veterinarians. And here we are trying to smooth the process over for veterinarians and give them a better quality of life. And then we have to deal with someone like you who is now trying to hold them accountable for things. That's preposterous. And I, I said to her, I'm trying to make life better too for people, but when they make mistakes, you have to call them on it. So just because you're trying to be nice and do the right thing, that doesn't shield you from taking responsibility and accountability. And it's answers like that, that make me want to work 168 hours a week, because that's just not right. It's not right. And you know, I hear those answers all the time because you know what I find in my practice, the veterinarians want to talk to their clients every single time the veterinarians want to talk to their clients. They understand what mediation is because I'm really good at explaining it. Um, They know that they're protected because we sign a confidentiality agreement and if something went wrong, wouldn't they like to keep it in house rather than have it spread over the front page of the journal American. And when we make an agreement that usually is not done. And so they, I have to tell them, which you know, because you're an attorney and I'm an attorney, ethically, we have to tell them you have to call your insurance company and get permission to do this because even though you're paying for it, um, which is not cheap for the veterinarian to do to pay me to help them and their client resolve a conflict, it would be cheap if I was the AVMA mediator and then I was neutral trying to help everybody solve it. But alas, as an independent mediator, I'm not cheap. Um, the malpractice say, well, we won't cover you if it goes south, you're on your own. And then right there, that makes them not want to have that conversation that would have nipped it in the bud. And exactly, and what, so they can't, they can't solve their own problems when they're small, so they become bigger. And you talked about social media, and what I spoke to this woman about from the vet world, and in all my letters to the veterinarians, I say this, my client, in order, to re, in order to have me work for them, has had to sign an agreement that they will refrain from being on social media and talking about this case or about you. I'm not in the business to take anybody down. I just want people to take accountability if they make mistakes. And I, I said to this woman in kind of a, an overconfident way, but I should be celebrated, not mistrusted because I'm trying to bring this fight that these people have, this dispute from the playgrounds of Twitter and Facebook, where anybody, anything goes to a better forum where there are rules and there's um, etiquette and ethics. And it's a sh- they need to understand one day they'll get that uh, because the model has to be, has to be flipped on its head because what's going to happen is you know, I hang up from a call like that. And I said to my wife, you know what? 
Why don't I just sue every single case? People like that, they're so, they don't get it. And this is somebody who's on the front lines. And let's just sue everybody, sue every vet. Who cares if we're, I don't want to make their life miserable and I don't want to waste anybody's time. So I, I'm not going to give into that, but you have to, um, you have to compromise, you have to bend. And it, this, this industry is going to keep bending until we break through. They can't have it always. Uh, we don't want to pay out more than the value of the dog or the costs of medical care. And we also don't want to talk about the case with you. You can't have all of that and think that as pet owners, we're just going to sit around and say, all right, they're really powerful and we aren't. That's not how it has to be. And I loved when you said accountability, because I think that is the piece that's lost in translation. So veterinary medicine, as all of my listeners know, is the highest um, profession with suicide. And they're actually, and I know you agree with me in this, Jeremy, caught in the middle. Because it's not in the insurance company's best interest to go forward without some sort of litigation because then they have something to um, work with. Uh, and it's not in the client's best interest not to hire an attorney um, if they are ignored in the beginning. So here we are with the veterinarian left in the middle, not being able to go and solve it with his client unless he goes against his malpractice um, insurance advice, then possibly losing his malpractice insurance. Um, and then subject to all this, what you discussed beautifully, this rhetoric, this social media fallout, this just this, this angst that he has to live with or she has to live with without any ability to solve it on their own. It's, they're set up to be in the position they're in, you know, um, psychologically and mentally right now, because some people have said, well, isn't it just because they get sad when, when pets die? no we all lose in our professions. We, we all lose cases and, and doctors and nurses, we, we all suffer losses and some of them are involved deaths. So I have to believe that's not the leading factor for why uh, they, they just get so, you know, they, they get to where they want to check out. I don't think that's the leading factor. Well, it's interesting because Nadine Hamilton, who's a prior podcast that I hope everyone goes back and listens to because so, it's so on point with Jeremy and my discussion here today, uh, she talks about the fact that all the fierce rhetoric that goes on between uh, clients and veterinarians without the, the hope for mindfulness and the hope for accountability on all sides and the, the fairness of being able to have a conversation that is not all about um, abuse and uh, terrible, terrible things being said. As I said, um, Peter Ames said, how can they talk to people this way? Or Scott Ames, excuse me, um, how can pet owners talk to veterinarians this way? And I said, because they obviously don't feel heard. Because I know when people call your office, if it's at the beginning, Jeremy, they're actually pretty reasonable. But once they get rejected, 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 I know in my practice, they are in orbit by then. And in your practice, I'm sure they are as well. Lots of tears. There sometimes we'll get three or four in a day where it's just, oh, I, I got to go take my dog for a walk. It, these are some sad stories. And, but you can relate to them because we're pet owners too. I'm a pet owner before I met a pet attorney. And so you just always put yourself in that position. If this was me, what would I do? Yeah. What would be my next step? And unfortunately, I think people take the right next step, but they're not met. 
Absolutely. And, and what we do as attorneys in this, in this venue is we're human and we help you try to reach a resolution that keeps everyone's humanity. If we're allowed, I mean, sometimes we're not allowed. So I'd love to have you back because I'd love to talk about um, so many different issues. One of them really being how um, insurance companies have this setup where um, owners actually um, go to state bars and the insurance companies will defend at the state bar, but where the state bars don't necessarily um, allow the pet owner to be part of the solution, which creates huge pushback by pet owners when they hear the, the, the penalty that the veterinarians get that they don't feel is really commiserate with the death of their pet. It, it leads to a lot of frustration. Yeah, when the authority is not listening to you, or when the authority listens and finds everything was wrong, but then says, but we're just going to put you on probation without some sort of plan where at least the pet owner is part of that probation. I know in my mediations, I make sure the pets are always, the pet owners are always part of the solution because then they can have input and feel as if they really are part of the solution. Because these cases really are not about money. It really is. When pet owners say it, I really believe it. You'd like to get reimbursed for something that didn't go right. But more importantly, there's a sense that we all owe each other this, this duty to protect the next pet owner who comes in down the same path. So we're going to get together again. This has been Jeremy Cohn of Boston Dog Lawyers. Fabulous, fabulous friend, fabulous attorney. He is, he's got loads of people to help as well as him. I've referred many people to him. I'm so grateful you're here. And please, we've got to get back here and talk about the state boards because that's a whole nother can of worms. So thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Deborah. No worries. So this is Deborah Hamilton of Why Do Pets Matter and Hamilton Law and Mediation. Please listen to the next podcast coming up right now. And one more thing, the three things I'm taking away from this wonderful podcast with Jeremy Cohn, the Boston dog lawyer, um, is that his livelihood is wrapped up in helping people with conflicts over animals. And he really wants to help owners not feel guilty by having them have the strength to ask for a second opinion. I mean, that is so natural to us in human medicine, but why wouldn't we ask for that for our pets? So I'm so glad you brought that up, Jeremy. And then finally, um, the mindfulness and accountability for people to be mindful of what they're saying, veterinarians and clients, um, and or uh, pet service providers, and taking accountability. I think those are some of the three things that Jeremy talked about here, and he's going to come back and we're going to talk about uh, state boards. I have to tell you, that will be a whole can of worms, so don't miss it. Again, Deborah Hamilton, Why Do Pets Matter, the podcast, and join us next time for our next wonderful podcast. Take care. You've been listening to the podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton. Do you have a great idea or guest or topic that you'd like me to cover? Write me at hamiltonlawandmediation.com or email me at whydopetsmatterpodcast at gmail.com. Until next week, our pets do matter. Thank you for being here with me.